The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show here on this March the 21st, 2022. It is 8.02 on your Tucson Monday. And whether you're joining us on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com, I appreciate you tuning in here to the uh, to the Jeff Dean Show weekdays from 7 to 9. You, uh, you absolutely have a choice of where to get your sports news, information, entertainment, opinions, all that. And uh, I appreciate you choosing the Jeff Dean Show here. Try to put together a great show for you every single day. And you know, today is, is all about, I'm, I'm still kind of going on the adrenaline from last night's thrilling win uh, against TCU. Uh, and uh, look, Dana O'Neill, who is a uh, reporter for The Athletic, she was in San Diego and uh, she was at the press conference last night, asked a couple questions and stuff. She wrote an article on The Athletic Today. It's called The Beautiful Audaciousness of the Arizona Wildcats. And it is an interesting read. I haven't gotten all the way through it yet because um, it is a lengthy article. Dana's a, a great writer, by the way. Um, she has done a fantastic job for a long time. She was at ESPN for a while. Uh, she has covered every sport you can possibly imagine. She's covered all the big ones. She's covered World Series, Super Bowl, uh, Stanley Cup, like all the big ones, NBA Finals, she's been there. Like, she is a legit, really, really good reporter. Uh, I love this line that she uses here in her article. And, again, if you're not if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, I'm not trying to sell it. I certainly don't make any money off of, off of them by trying to, you know, push their product or anything. I'm just trying to lead you in the direction of great writers, passionate writers, who do a fantastic job at what they do. Uh, she writes here, she, she's talking about um, what happened after the game. She says, one horn honked, perhaps the sound of an aggravated, impatient driver. But then came the return blast and joined by another and another and another until the cars outside the Viejas Arena burped with such joyful noise it became nearly impossible to hear Tommy Lloyd speak during his post-game press conference. It was Arizona fans in the parking garage having a heyday and celebrating their win. She said, this is what it is to be an Arizona fan, coach, or player right now. It is to dance on the head of a pin, the abyss always mere inches away. And she couldn't be more correct. <laughs> this is what we do, right? This is what Arizona fans are. This is how we live. People don't understand it. People poo-poo it. There were TCU fans and the, the, TC, the TCU Barstool uh, Twitter account, by the way, Go, immediately goes into my top five most annoying accounts on Twitter. Like, whoever runs that is real trash. I'll be honest with you. Like, that person sucks. Basically, midway through the first period, they tweeted out, I'm so sick of hearing the chant U of A, why won't these people shut up? <laughs> uh, it's called fandom, idiot. And our fans bring it. I know you're not used to it down there in Fort Worth being like, I don't know, the eighth most important program in the state of Texas. And that might be that, that might be being gracious there. Uh, but here in Tucson, the state of Arizona, I, I'm telling you, I, I get text messages every year. Every, every year. And it's been going on for 20 years plus. 
every year I get text messages from my ASU buddies. They're like, oh, by the way, go Wildcats. Like, I don't, and like it's fine. Like, it's not a football season. We don't care. But go Wildcats. We got, we got uh, you know, respect for the state of Arizona. We want to represent well, represent the Pac-10, represent Pac-12, whatever. I get, I get dozens of those text messages every year. And the, the, the ones that I don't get, I, if I see them in person or whatever, I, if I see Sun Devil fans out and about, they're like, hey, hope you guys win today. Like, it's, it's like a whole state pride thing. This basketball team galvanizes so many people in such a small space. And I know Arizona's a big state, sixth biggest state in the country. But in, 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 you know, in reality, in the, you know, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, it's so small. We're such a small little piece. And this basketball program... And I call it the crown jewel of Tucson. I, I called it that. I had to go to. I was at. I said I had to go to a party yesterday. I was at a party yesterday, uh, before the game, and uh, with some friends stuff like that. It was a, a big birthday party and stuff like that. So I was down there, and uh, and you know there were some people from Tucson that were there. There were a lot of Wildcat fans at, at the party, and there were a lot of not Wildcat fans. In fact, the host of the party is one of the biggest Sun Devil fans you'll ever meet. Um, and there was a lot of talk about basketball. And when I said, look, it's the crown jewel of Tucson, and all the people from Tucson were like, yep, you're, it's absolutely right. Like, you could not describe it any better. And it really is. It's, it's what we, we, we just have so much passion for. It. It's, it's our baby, right? Arizona basketball is, is our thing. We all feel like we have a piece. We have a part of it. And you should. And when Tommy Lloyd says, I want you to be participants, not spectators. He means it. Like he wants you guys to be involved. He wants the fans to be loud, to be proud, to show up, to to be exuberant for their team. Like this doesn't happen, <laughs> folks. I'm telling you, I've been across this country. Hell, I've been in every in every one of the the, the Pac-12 uh, arenas multiple times, and we're talking three, four times. Uh, you know, a piece in each of these, each of the venues for games in the inside the Pac-12. Nobody, and I mean, it is not even close, has the support that the Arizona basketball program has with its fans. It's not. It's nobody in the Pac-12 is even in the same zip code as Arizona. Some of them aren't on the same planet as Arizona when it comes to fan support. So when Tommy Lloyd comes, Tommy Lloyd agreed to come here, you know, and and Tommy, and I'm not, not going to try to put words in his mouth. I'm going to let Tommy speak for himself. But a good friend of mine who played at Gonzaga, friends with Tommy, basically told me that Tommy was either going to take one of two jobs in his in his life. He was either going to ascend to the Gonzaga head coaching job, or he was going to take the Arizona job if it ever came, you know. Uh, if, if it ever became available to him. Those are the two jobs he wanted, period. And why he wanted the Arizona job was because the fan support here is so off the charts for a West Coast team. East Coast team, Midwest teams are different, obviously. They're, things are, you know, things are different. there. There's all kinds of different reasons why, and I don't want to get into them. But out here in the Southwest, like, we run things. Like, this is, people say, you know, McHale North, McHale West, whatever. No, no, no. The Southwest belongs to Arizona. The West Coast belongs to Arizona basketball. Fans showed out last night over the weekend. I mean, all you know, all weekend long, 
and they were loud. You could hear the Wildcat fans in the the, the Seton Hall uh, TCU game on uh, on Friday night. <laughs> you could hear the Wildcat fans cheering and chanting in that game as it became very apparent who our opponent was going to be. We love that. So I think it's you know so important that that Arizona. You know, like the fans, they just realize just how important they are, not just on a game-to-game basis, but why Arizona is where it is today. Why is Arizona 33-3 and right now, going to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017, and a real legitimate shot? I mean, they're one of the top four favorites remaining of the Sweet 16 to cut down the nets in New Orleans in a couple of weeks. And a major cog of that is because of the fans. It really is. And I'm not trying to puff you guys up or anything. Like, I'm being serious. Like, and people in that building, you know, that work in the McHale Center day to day, they know. They get it. Now, we're not trying to, you know, service the fans. And, and you know, fans don't need to be making any kind of decisions, certainly, on anything that happens with this program. But the overwhelming amount of support, uh, the outpouring of of emotion from the fans at these games is what makes Arizona basketball so great and what sets it apart from so many other programs, 355 programs in this country. And there aren't four programs, there aren't four with more support than Arizona, period. So I think uh, fans deserve some credit. Just going to be honest, I think they do. I think the fans deserve some of the credit for that win last night. That was huge. There was that place was so loud. I was talking to people that were there, obviously, uh, and they were just like, "Yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, it was almost like being at McHale. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's loud. There's a lot of red, a lot of red, a lot of screaming going on. So, uh, props to you guys. Real quick, before I get into anything else, the, the you know the Houston matchup gonna be gonna be difficult. That game is gonna be seven o'clock Thursday night. It's gonna be played in San Antonio in the Alamo Dome, which is about three hour drive <laughs> from. Uh, from Houston, so the the fan support is going to be split a lot more heavily in this particular matchup because of the fans from Houston area, and it's like it's a it's a, it's a good proud fan base there as well. And they're excited about their team. Their head coach ripped his shirt off and had a a live celebration on TV that's been talked about all over the country for uh, for you know last twenty four hours. That's going to be uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Fan versus fan, team versus team, coach versus coach. Going to be an epic throwdown. We'll have plenty of that for you. St. <laughs> Peter's, the Peacocks of all of all of all teams, they knock off Kentucky, which I didn't think. You know, you, you never think that those fifteen twos are going to are going to happen. Like eh, Delaware was not going to beat Villanova. Fullerton was not going to beat Duke, although that game was pretty close. Uh, Jacksonville State was not going to beat Auburn. That game was over. 10 minutes into that game, and then you're watching that Kentucky-St. Peter's game, you're like, what is happening here? Like, Kentucky's backcourt can't score, and, you know, they you, 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 they need their backcourt. If their backcourt doesn't score, they're in big, big trouble because you can't you can't rely on Oscar Shibui to be your lead scorer, which they did, and that was a problem for them. Finding things out about this St. Peter's team, and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, this team's actually pretty good. Like, you read – some of the stories that were written about them now that they've moved on to the Sweet 16, and you realize that for the last month of the season, they've actually led the NCAA in field goal percentage defense, uh, three-point field goal percentage defense. Like, they've just locked teams down. 
and they sure as hell did against Kentucky. Wow. They're definitely the biggest surprise of this tournament. Some other big surprises, obviously I mentioned you know, there's an 11-10 matchup in the Midwest. Miami versus Iowa State. Are you kidding me? I mean, of the teams that they had to emerge from, Iowa, Providence. I'm sorry, not uh, not Iowa. Uh, so there was LSU. I picked the Iowa State LSU over LSU. I figured, like, yeah, that's not won't be a problem. But of these teams, LSU, Wisconsin, USC, and Auburn, the teams that emerged were Iowa State and Miami. What? Like that just does that doesn't happen. Michigan has gone on a run. Now, I'm not going to say I told you so, but coming into this tournament, I believe that I said that Michigan could be that team that they realize Michigan could realize to be the team that they were supposed to be from the from the get go. This is a team that did not win back to back games all season long. They lacked direction. They lacked discipline at certain times. At other times, they just lacked the ability to get up and down the court like we saw when they got blasted by Arizona on a neutral court. They figured things out, and they're playing with a lot of confidence right now, and Villanova better be ready for them because Michigan is going to bring them a game. That's going to be a good one. You know, over in the West, you got all chalk. One, two, three, four seeds, all advancing, Gonzaga, Duke, Texas Tech, Arkansas. Um, Arkansas kind of escaping with their lives, right, uh, over, over New Mexico State. After New Mexico State upset UConn, it was a crazy upset that I did not expect. And then in the East, just absolute craziness in the East. Obviously, Baylor gets knocked off. They have that crazy game against North Carolina. They're down 25. They force overtime. James Akinjo, just a man possessed, uh, forces overtime, and then they just didn't have the gas to finish. Like You come back from a 25-point deficit, you're out of gas completely. And North Carolina moved on. And they're the eight seed. They're going to take on UCLA, the four seed, who has not looked great. But again, they just continue to win. And UCLA gets in these rock fights with teams, and that's that's where, that's what they do. They're going to drag you down into the depths, into the mud, with their style, with their physicality, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to they're just going to beat you up. They're going to turn you up like butter, spit you out. Like UCLA, they're primed and ready for an elite eight uh, finish here. If they can. If they can find a way to stop Emmanuel Baycott, then uh, then they're going to be in business. And then you got Purdue versus St. Peter's. You know, Purdue, whose defense has been terrible all season long, but their offense is the number one offensive team in the country. And we've seen some chinks in the armor from Purdue. Not a great performance against Yale, but nonetheless, get it done. Then, of course, their uh, their victory over Texas, which they basically just kind of led from the get-go. They kind of, I don't even know if they ever gave up the lead in that game. But it was close. Like Texas, obviously, Chris Beard's got himself a good program there. So that's kind of the way the the Sweet 16 looks right now. You can you can obviously go you can go to ESPNTucson.com. If you missed out on the original bracket, you can redo your bracket now for the Sweet 16 to try to win those prizes. Um, it's just it's a, it's a great time of year. There's 16 teams left. 355 teams begin the season. We're down to the final 16, and uh, Arizona's one of them. So we should be excited about that. The Arizona women's basketball team going to be at the McHale Center tonight. They got a win over uh, UNLV on Saturday night. I was uh, was watching that game uh, a little bit there. Some tense moments. And this 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 Arizona team is not going to blow people out. Um, it's not like last year's team where they just they, you know we have an Ari McDonald who's just lightning in a bottle that will just completely take over games and go on an 8-0 run by herself. They you know they don't have that. They have two solid scorers, Kate Reese. 
course, Sam Thomas, and then they sprinkle in some other good scorers, some good shooters, but they just play great defense. Like, they, you know, they will lock you down, and they will shut teams out for entire minutes at a time, like in several occasions throughout the game. And Adia is doing a great job coaching this team. They've got North Carolina tonight. That's going to be a tough matchup because North Carolina will just start raining threes. Like, that's what they do. It's just three after. It's, it's, it's a three-point parade for North Carolina. So it's going to be important for Arizona to control the tempo in that game and work the ball inside and continue to get Kate Reese, you know, some, a lot of touches, a lot of quality touches, seven, eight feet from the basket. Uh, if they can do that, they can move on to the Sweet 16. But, it's again, fan support. Like, there was over 11,000 people at the McHale Center on Saturday night for the women's game. That's awesome. Like, that's, like you, you won't get that in many other places across the country for women's basketball. Like, you know, UConn, Baylor, South Carolina, those, those places. Tennessee, you still get a lot of support for them. Notre Dame gets a lot of support, too. Uh, but uh, you won't you won't see that you know many other places across the country. So uh, if you're uh, if you're available, please get down to the McHale Center tonight. Get some tickets for the game. Uh, our girls need you, and uh, go out there and show your fan support for your team. It'll be the last time Sam Thomas plays at the McHale Center. It's going to be a very emotional night for her, of course. Emotional night for a lot of the girls that have played alongside her for the last several years as well. But it's look, it's a good team. Shayna Pellington had a great game against uh, UNLV, kind of took over the game at certain points. And, um, it, look, it's 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 a good team, and this team could be poised for a run. I mean, if they are able to get past North Carolina tonight, I think you're looking at, you know, another shot because some of the top teams have been knocked off in that tournament as well. Not quite as often, you know, not quite as prevalent as in the men's tournament, but the men's tournament has had some surprises in it as well. So uh, good luck to uh, Adia Barnes and the women's basketball team tonight as they take on North Carolina at the McHale Center. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, Arizona baseball has a big weekend against one of the uh, powerhouses in the Pac-12, and we'll have some NFL news and notes, tell you where Deshaun Watson end up, what did that look like, and that uh, Joe Burrow has himself a new bodyguard. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this uh, Monday, March 21st. Hope you all had a wonderful weekend. Uh, if you uh, stayed safe on the uh, St. Patrick's Day. It was kind of a long weekend for us, right? Like, I think a lot of people took, you know, a lot of people take the Thursday and Friday off for, for March Madness anyway. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always fun to be having them longer weekends, especially when the Wildcats are rolling. So uh, we're happy about that. And, uh, of course, we uh, wish them all the best. And we'll have tons of updates for you throughout the week on uh, the progression of Kerr's ankle, if that continues to be an issue or not. Uh, I know Ben was had his uh, had his thumb wrapped, so that was uh, that was a little something that was kind of like oh you know did he get it smacked in that uh, that opening round game against Wright State? It's very possible. Uh, all right, so speaking of uh, things on campus, Michael Lev was uh, covering. Unfortunately, Mike Michael Lev had to stay home and cover football and baseball. Oh darn! Uh, a couple other other things that are going really well for Arizona right now. Um, so Arizona gets a comeback win against Stanford. Now Arizona, number seventeen team in the country. Stanford, a top ten team, and they're like they're considered maybe the best team in the conference. 
Um, they get a dramatic comeback win in essentially what was a uh, a walk off, you know, throw it, you know, throw it the, at the home plate basically um, to walk off against Stanford the night before in a comeback victory. Then they have to overcome a four run deficit yesterday. Uh, it was the bottom of the eighth inning. Scored five runs in the bottom of the eighth to beat Stanford six to five at uh, at High Corbett. It's their fifth win in a row, and it gives them a series victory over the what are the preseason favorites to win the Pac-12. And uh, the Wildcats are going to be going for the sweep tonight at High C. So if you're uh, if you're not able to go to the women's basketball game. Go check out the uh, the Ben's baseball team, of course, at uh, at High C. Chip Hale said uh, they've got a lot of fight talking about his his own team. Arizona now uh, fifteen and four on the season. Had a little run in there with Texas State. Texas State, pretty good team, apparently. Um, lost a couple of games there, but nonetheless, still looking pretty darn good. And they're four and one in conference. Um, you know, and he, he it's he's got himself a team that is it really just likes to fight. I mean, they get down early in games, and that's unfortunate. But they're a team that doesn't give up, and you like to see that again. It's, it's a character-building situation um, for this particular team. So uh, Chip Hale working with them, and uh, they'll be in action again tonight at high C, trying to get that sweep. Man, get a sweep against Stanford, that would be huge. The, the, Arizona's got a, a gauntlet of teams coming into Tucson from the conference to play this year. Like Their schedule is really loaded. In, in, I mean, the Pac-12 is really good, obviously, or Pac-11, I guess. But it's really good. the The best part is though, Arizona gets a lot of those games at home. So, not only do we get to enjoy seeing some of the best teams from the conference here, if you're a baseball fan, but Arizona gets to secure last at bats against those teams, which is always important in college baseball. Oh, I mean, it's important in regular baseball, in Major League Baseball, any other level of baseball. But college baseball, like last at bats, are huge. You can get into a bullpen against the college baseball team, <laughs> you're going to be okay. Like, so there's some bullpens out there. Not every bullpen is great, obviously, and uh, some of them have a, 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 a potential to implode at any given time. So uh, go out there and check out the Wildcats if you're in town and you're able to uh, go see the uh, the baseball game tonight. They're going to be at high C going for that series sweep against Stanford. NFL news and notes. Now, the we, we had talked about it Thursday and Friday, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. It was down to two teams. He had basically said not you told North Carolina or toward uh, Carolina North Carolina told Carolina no thanks um you know we're, we're I'm going to I'm going to try with one of these other teams and those two other teams were either the New Orleans Saints or the Atlanta Falcons now earlier in the week there had been some flirtation with the Cleveland Browns Baker Mayfield comes out basically comes out of hiding from his social media hiatus and says thank you and goodbye to the Cleveland fans everybody's like what are you talking about bro like <laughs> It's fine. I know that you're upset because the owner said that they want to have an adult at quarterback, but I'm sorry, the truth hurts. So we just kind of figured that they were out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes because it was down to two teams. And then lo and behold, over the weekend, it gets dropped like a, you know, just like a bomb in the middle of everything. Deshaun Watson dealt to the Cleveland Browns, and Deshaun Watson will be the new quarterback of the Cleveland Browns in the 2022 season barring whatever's going on in the 22 lawsuits of the civil case going on there. Uh, you know, the NFL, the NFL, depending on what happens in the civil suit, the NFL can still suspend him, but he will not be, 
you know, indicted in any kind of criminal activity in that situation. Those were all dropped. The charges were dropped. Um, so now it's just a civil suit, and the NFL can still take action. So it still could be two game, four game, six game suspension, uh, suspension, whatever they feel is is proper. Um, so I don't believe that he'll be with the Browns for all 17 games this year. But as we've seen, you can if you can hang tight and you can make a comeback at the end, you can get in that uh, into the playoffs, and anything goes at that point in time. So the parameters of the deal: Deshaun Watson goes to Cleveland. The Houston Texans get three first round picks a third-round pick in next year's draft, and then a fourth and a fifth-round pick in the 2024 draft. Wow. Deshaun Watson gets paid an average of $46 million a year for the next five years with the Cleveland Browns, including a massive signing bonus. And obviously he's very happy with uh, with everything that's gone on. So Cleveland had to up their, up their, their deal a little bit because – they, you know, it was a situation where uh, he'd already told him no. So it sounds like they probably threw a little more money onto the pile there for uh, for Deshaun Watson, which helped him decide. I mean, look, he's going to a better situation than he would have been if he had gone to Atlanta or to New Orleans. New Orleans is, is they're a mess. Like they're 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 a mess right now. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have a whole lot of weapons on offense. The defense is good, but they're in salary cap hell thanks to their own misgivings, uh, and they're a mess. Atlanta is kind of in a rebuild mode, but they're not. And so it's kind of a weird situation. You go to Cleveland, you got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, certainly in the AFC. You've got a great running game. They just need to go out and get you a couple of targets to throw the football to. The defense is okay. Uh, but I feel I still feel like that defense was put in bad situations because of Baker Mayfield and the decisions that he made on that field, putting his team in bad positions. Third and longs that didn't get converted deep in your own zone. And that's going to cause some real problems for the defense. So I think immediately with Deshaun Watson being there, I think it improves the defensive output immediately. Speaking of the AFC North, now there was a lot of discussion made about Joe Burrow and how many times he got sacked this year and how bad the offensive line was for Cincinnati, yet they still made the Super Bowl and had a chance to win that game, uh, You know, at least in the second half there. We're still in it for sure. They signed Lyle Collins – former tackle now for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and a real good one. Now, they make the deal for Collins. He promptly texts Joe Burrow, and he texts him saying that your bodyguard is in town and no one will touch you. Kind of reminded me of one of my favorite scenes from my favorite football movies, Necessary Roughness. I don't know how well you, how well you guys remember Necessary Roughness. Hilarious movie, just fantastic. Um Scott Bakula as the quarterback, an aging quarterback that still has a year of eligibility left, and they're trying to build this team back from getting – it's basically like kind of looking at SMU after the death sentence that the NCAA handed out to them trying to rebuild their program, all this and that. So really fun stuff. But uh, he plays a character – Scott Bakula plays a character by the name of Paul Blake. And in the final scene and, you know, the final game of that uh, of that particular movie, they're playing – their rivals and this nasty linebacker who beat them up in a bar and he's been, you know, all conference and all this other stuff. And they have to run like this kind of trick play to try and win the game. And Manu Mana, the center, he's a big Polynesian center, of course, you know, and a great character in the movie. And he's the center of the, of the team. And he looks at Paul Blake and he says, he'll never touch you. And Paul Blake's like, okay, and, you know, of course, you know, he 
the, the, the linebacker comes racing around, and Manu Mana blocks him and knocks his face mask off. There's blood everywhere. It's awesome. And, uh, yeah, so then, of course, the then that was the, the, the Texas State, what are they, the, the horned, horned toads or something like that. They were really close to what TC uses. Anyway. Just reminded me of that. I saw the I saw the the tweet of the text message that Lyle Collins sent to uh, to Joe Burrow. Quote: uh, <coughs> oh, Sorry, no one will touch you. And it reminded me of of necessary roughness with that scene there. Fun stuff. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, more NFL news and who knows what else. Next on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. You know, I mentioned earlier that the the consensus All-America team, you know, we talked about it last week, and fans were upset that, that, uh, that Benedict Matherin was a second-team All-American as opposed to a first-team All-American, and I can understand. Look, Arizona fans have great pride in their in our, in our in our players, and we want the best for our guys. And we feel like when they don't get acknowledged the way that we would acknowledge them, that they're being shortchanged by the media and whatever that is a little more, I guess, biased towards Midwest and East Coast. Hard to argue when the you know the top players of the year were from Kansas, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Kentucky. Okay, that's pretty much the breadbasket of basketball right there. Hard to argue. I mean, Abaji from Kansas, great. Kofi Coburn. I was having a long discussion with a friend of mine about about him, about Kofi yesterday. Uh, I just, I feel like he's like Kevin Duckworth. And those of you who are old enough to know who that is are probably like, yeah, that fits, except Kevin Duckworth had a jump shot. Um, Johnny Davis of Wisconsin, you, you know, the one trick pony for, for Wisconsin. I mean, the only reason they were anywhere nearly as good as they were this year is because of Johnny Davis. The rest of that team is not very good. Keegan Murray, spectacular player from Iowa. Oscar Shibwe, Kentucky's all effort guy, super strong, best rebounder in the country. Best rebounder I've seen since Dennis Rodman actually rebounds the ball very similarly to, to Bennett, the way Dennis Rodman did back in the day. Four of those guys all have one thing in common. They didn't make it out of the opening weekend of the tournament. Kofi Coburn in Illinois, gone. Johnny Davis in Wisconsin, gone. Keegan Murray in Iowa, gone. Oscar Shibwe in Kentucky, gone. To a 15 seed in the opening round. <laughs> now, you look at the second team, Paolo Bancaro, freshman from Duke. Tons of skill. He can do it all, right? He's, he's, he can do everything. On a, on a basketball court. Speaking of guys who can do everything, Chet Holmgren may or may not be the number one overall pick in the draft. I, try to pick between him and Jabari Smith. It's like, okay, which, you know, which do you prefer? Jaden Ivey, electric guard from Purdue. Benedict Matherin, most explosive player in this, in this tournament. And then I mentioned the aforementioned Jabari Smith from Auburn. And then Drew Timmy also got a, uh, an acknowledgement there uh, as a second team. Five of those six guys all have one thing in common. They're still playing. They're going to be making a second trip to another city to play in the next round of the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm not trying to say that the, the first-teamers and the second-teamers should be flip-flop because it's hard not to pick 
it would be impossible not to put Abaji, Davis, Murray, Shibui not on the first team. They were spectacular all year long. Could you put Bancaro, Holmgren, Ivy, Matherin, and Jabari Smith in the first team? Sure. Drew Timmy in the first team? Sure. WCC Player of the Year? Sure. So I'm not trying to, like, split hairs here. I just thought it was interesting that when you look at those guys, there's a reason why they were first-team All-Americans, right? Like, Abaji at, at Kansas has been great, and it's a, it's a really good roster at Kansas. Nobody's going to, to refute that. But he is kind of like the bread and butter of that team. Kofi Coburn, average 21-10 and 10 this year. I mean, it, that's, those are great averages. When Illinois was really, really good, like when they were on their game, however, it's because I, I felt like it was when the guards were making their plays. Like, to me, Trent Frazier is the best, te- best player on that team. If he had a bad night, so did Illinois. Like, if Kofi Coburn had a bad night, Illinois could still win those games. And to be honest with you, the backup center, the kid with the uh, with, with the big hair, I felt like they were a better rebounding team when he was in there because he's much more athletic. They're a team that shoots a lot of threes. Like, Kobe's just going to camp out under the, under the basket. And shooting threes, you need a more athletic rebounder. Because his balls are coming off at a higher rate. They're going to go further. You need a guy that he can either, can either sky and grab the ball out of the air before it gets over their head, or you need somebody who's athletic and go after it and get it. So if you're a team that shoots a bunch of threes, the last guy you want in there is Kevin Duckworth, right? You don't want Patrick Ewing if you're going to be shooting a bunch of threes. He's got no athleticism. Johnny Davis, when, when he got hurt, Right, and he, he got he 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 missed a couple of games this year. Wisconsin was they weren't even competitive in those games. Keegan Murray from Iowa. Now Iowa put together a pretty good pretty good offensive roster this year. Keegan Murray was far and away the best player on that team, though. The, the, are we sensing a trend here? Like these are all like one trick ponies. Like these are all teams that relied on one player. Now Kentucky didn't rely on Oscar Shibway in in that instance, in that instance they were a, a team who very guard heavy of course with tai tai and and uh, mints and things like that you know a, a team that was completely predicated on guard play and defense Shibway was just a force inside he was a monster he was unstoppable in certain games and he played with more effort than anybody i've seen in a long time so it's not a one trick pony there but the thing is all these teams were just one great player and then some, you know, some other guys around them. And these are all good basketball teams, but you know what? They're all sitting at home. You know what? You know what Arizona has outside of Benedict Matherin? Oh yeah, they got a guy by the name of Christian Coloco who did something that no one in the NCAA tournament has ever done before. They've also got a guy like Dalen Terry, five steals last night, five. Great defensive player and hit maybe the second biggest shot of the game for Arizona to tie the game at 70. They've got other pieces around. And some days one guy will step up. Another day another guy will step up. But you know why Arizona's moving on? Because they play like a team. It's not just Benedict Matherin dropping 34 points on everybody every night. And granted, they needed him last night. They needed every bit of that 30 that he dropped last night. But it's just because he stepped up. And he played like a champion. He played like an All-American last night. You know, Gonzaga, two guys on the second team, I mean, they got the scare of their life against Memphis. They were down 10 at halftime to Memphis. And I said, look, I said on Friday, that matchup with Memphis is going to be 
scarier than people think because Memphis got dudes. Like, they got a big dude in the middle, like a big dude in the middle, a man. And they got athletes all over the place. It's not going to be easy for Gonzaga to, to, uh, to win that game. And we saw that game come right down to the wire, right, where they win by four. Yeah, the game was close. And Gonzaga's really, really, really good. There are some really good teams in this tournament. We know that. But it's not just like, you know, we've said all along, like this is not a six-team tournament like we've seen so many other times before, like where like there's a top six or seven and then everybody else. What I thought was going to be maybe a 10-team tournament this year, 10 to 12 teams, has turned into about a 16-team tournament, let's be honest. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in the Sweet 16 has the chops to win the championship. I don't think St. Peter's has a prayer of winning a national championship, nor do I think Iowa State or Miami have a prayer at winning a national championship. But I'll tell you what, I can make a case for every other team on this list. Gonzaga, Arkansas, winner of that game? Sure, why not? Why couldn't the SEC champ uh, emerge from the, you know, or not SEC champ, but a team from the SEC emerge as a national champion? Texas Tech with, you know, an assistant, Mark Adams, that took over after Chris Beard went to go coach his alma mater. And Duke, either one of those teams could cut down the net. They're both very good. North Carolina struggled early, got blown out by 40 points in games this year, sometimes didn't even look like they belonged in the tournament. That's a team. Like, they got some dudes. Baycott is a monster. UCLA, yeah, I think people could see them, although – They've been really inconsistent on offense lately, and they better turn Johnny Juzang better turn things up if they want to have a shot against North Carolina. Purdue, I can see them cutting down the nets. Then we jump over to the south, Arizona-Houston. I don't think anybody right now would not consider either of those teams one of the top five teams in the country. Nobody. Like In fact, I think it was on ESPN, if, if, if they were reseeding the tournament. Yeah, here it is right here. If, if uh, who was it that did this? Myron Medcalf. I like Myron Medcalf. He's 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 got his he's got his head on straight. He has Gonzaga as still the number one overall seed. Then he has Kansas. He said it was very close. He has Arizona the number three overall seed. He has Houston Cougars the number four overall seed. Then he's got Villanova the five seed. So teams that Arizona probably have to go through to get there. But he's he's right. Houston the five seed looks like one of the four or five best teams in the country right now. They're playing like it. They were playing like it for a, a month and a half. I could see Michigan cutting down the nets. Sure. Why not? Highly ranked team in the preseason. Couldn't put things together. Had some emotional issues. Now they're feeling it. And they got their point guard back. Like, they they could be a legit contender for the championship. Villanova, certainly. Kansas and Providence. Providence has been smashing people in this tournament. And I mean crushing them. Providence looks really friggin' good right now. Kansas, of course. And then again, I don't think any—I don't think the winner of that Iowa State Miami has a, has a chance of cutting down the nets. So, thirteen of the teams in the Sweet Sixteen, I think, have a legit shot at winning the national championship. And that's the most I've ever, ever, like even when there's been chalk, you know, like the the 2008 year where all four number ones advanced. There was uh, you know Memphis, Kansas, UCLA. Uh, I don't remember who the other one was. Duke, I think it was. You know that was that was a you know that was a chalk year. Even then, 
you look at that Sweet 16, you're like, eh, five, six teams I think that I can see cutting down the net. You have 13 teams here. And, I, and look, I'll give you Michigan. If they're an 11 seed, if you want to say Michigan didn't have a shot, I, I, I could listen to that. But I, I, I wouldn't dismiss them, like, completely. Just be like, nah, they don't have a chance. Very, very interesting stuff. Great, great time to be alive and watching the tournament for sure. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, I'll put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. You know, there's some thought to looking ahead at what Arizona's got in front of them. I mean, they've got Houston, who's the number two or number three net team in the country. The number two, Ken Palm, I think, number three net team uh, in the country. So their next matchup is against a team who is rated right there with them to, to open up the Sweet 16. And then if they get through that game, your reward is the winner of the Michigan-Villanova game. Villanova, I think, is number five in the net, number six in Ken Palm. Michigan, I believe, is number 25 in Ken Palm. TCU, the team they just played, was 26 in the Ken Palm, by the way. Like, people are like, oh, it's a nine seed. <sighs> like I said, don't – like, that was no slouch. That's a Jamie Dixon coach team, a really good coach, and a team who came out of a really good league. I was – to say that I was worried about that game – I don't want to say worried. That's not that's not the real like I was worried that Arizona would kind of be over their own skis essentially. Like they wouldn't just they wouldn't play like they wanted to win a championship. They just wanted to play like they were they had already won the championship if that makes any sense. I'm glad they didn't. They came out and played hard again. Down 8 nothing early. <laughs> kind of got smacked in the mouth and then they had to they had to fight their way back into it. So yeah, Arizona's road to the final four is going to be difficult, but we already knew that. You know, and, and you look at the, the the rankings of the teams remaining in this. These are all highly rated teams, except for St. Pete uh, and Iowa State. Miami still has a pretty good uh, Ken Palm rating. The other, you know, the other team. These are all these are all highly rated teams. These are no slouches. There's there's re, there's good reason why they're in the in the situation that they're in. Now Ken Palm already has predicted that Houston will win the game seventy four to seventy three. I, of course, do not make predictions on the games. I will give you the best insight that I possibly can on a game plan and the keys for Arizona's winning uh, a game over Houston. I've seen Houston play several times this year, not in person, but I've watched them on TV. I'm very familiar with their with their program, or their system, I should say, uh, rather. Kelvin Sampson been running the same system for a long time. Uh, and we'll take a deep dive into their personnel and the way that they've kind of gotten things done uh, specifically recently, because that's what you want to know. What, how, how are they playing recently? And there's there are very few teams in the, in the country right now that are playing good uh, basketball as Houston is right now. Now, if it all comes to an end, okay, it all good things must come to an end at some point, whether it culminates in Arizona cutting down the nets or coming home early after he lost to Houston. The overall feeling of this year's team will be pure joy. And, I mean, that's what they brought us. They brought us a ton of joy and really surprise because I don't think anybody saw this. I certainly didn't have them projected as a one seed. I thought that they could make the tournament um, if 
you know, some of these pieces came together, but I didn't see them as a one seed. They're 33-3 and on the season right now, and they deserve all of the adulations that we get. That is going to wrap up today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mary back in the studio for all her hard work pushing all the right buttons. I apologize for the blips and burps and bleeps that we've had throughout the day. The uh, Internet here has not been kind, but we'll try to color, cover that up for, uh, for tomorrow. We'll see you guys again tomorrow at 7 a.m. right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.